Good morning. It's good to be here with all of you today. Uh, I am Philip Sanders here with my wife Lindsay from Jacksonville, from Grace Community Church up there. I know you guys are familiar with the church, and even uh, Josh last week and Ian the, the week before that, uh, sweet brothers from from our church. Um, and we're we're so glad to be able to come down here and to to serve you all, and you all serve us as we come come down here as well. Um, give us opportunities to open God's Word with you, and, and that's a great joy for us. And so uh, we are glad to be here. Uh, I think this is our second time here, and, and last time was right after a hurricane. And this time it's just before maybe a tropical storm hurricane, whatever it's going to be when it makes its way up uh, the coast of Florida here. So I don't know if this is a pattern, but we'll uh, have to watch out for this in the future. <laughs> if Philip's going to Gainesville, watch out for the, uh, the tropical tropical weather. Um, but I am looking forward to opening God's word with you this morning. So uh, before we, we dive in, let me pray as we prepare to look into God's word. Lord, we have just been so privileged to be able to, to sing about you. Uh, our souls have been reminded about your character. Uh, you are the eternal God, that glory is due to you alone. We've been reminded of the, the glorious truths of the gospel. Uh, you sent your son on our behalf. He, he died a sacrificial death, uh, bearing the wrath that we deserved, taking our place. And Lord, uh, as believers in Christ, our hope is in him. He is our solid rock and him alone. That is where our, our souls uh, find their hope. That's where we stake our lives, uh, eternal lives upon. Uh, it's so good to be able to hear other believers singing these truths. We're, we're encouraged as we uh, look around and we see others that you are, are working in their hearts, uh, that you have saved them, that you continue to sanctify and Lord, we uh, love to walk this Christian life together. Lord, I thank you for this local local assembly. I thank you for the way that you have uh, brought the, these believers together. Uh, and Lord, what a, what a privilege it is to be here with them today. And what a privilege it is to gather in general, uh, to be able to, uh, especially during this unique time of our lives, this unique season, uh, to be able to gather um, still openly, still freely, and to open your word to hear from you. So as we come to your word now, we ask that you uh, would help us to, to see, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word, uh, that you would use your word in our lives um, in the ways that you would desire, Lord, um, that we would have a submissive, humble response to it. We would tremble before your word now as we come to it. Uh, we love you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as I said, it is a, a great privilege to be here this morning and uniquely to be able to open God's Word with you. Um, and on top of that, not only are we opening God's Word, uh, we're opening God's Word about God's Word. Uh, so what, what does the Scripture say about itself? Um, so this is an important topic for us. As Brandon already mentioned, we, we stand here at the pulpit, who, whoever is here, um, and we, we don't want to give you our opinions. We don't want to tell you stories. Uh, we don't want to give you cultural commentary. Uh, we want to open the Word of God. Uh, we want to hear from Him. Um, and what a privilege it is. I think about my, my own church in Jacksonville. I can be confident that every week, no matter who is in the pulpit, that's what we're going to hear. Um, and knowing a little bit about you all here, um, I, I can affirm that you, you feel the same way. Uh, you desire the same thing. Uh, this pulpit is a place where, where God's word is prioritized and where it is proclaimed. 
and may it continue to be so. And as believers, there's, there's really no more precious topic for us than this. The scriptures are God's word and they are food for our souls. Uh, it's the spiritual nourishment that we need as we walk through our lives, uh, whatever our days look like. Thus, as Peter exhorts in his epistle, first epistle, he says, We are to long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Uh, we're to long for God's word. We're to long for the growth that comes through God's word. And so as we, we seek to long for it today, to cultivate a, a greater longing for it today, uh, we need to make sure that we have a, a correct and a robust understanding about what God's word actually is. Uh, what is this, this book that God has given to us? What is this revelation from him? Uh, we want to make sure we understand this correctly, that we have a, a right and accurate view of it. And that's what you've been doing in this series already over these past four, five weeks, whatever it is now. Uh, you've seen that the scriptures are the very word of God, the inspiration of scripture. Uh, you looked at Second Peter chapter 1, where, where Peter declares there that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Uh, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As we'll see even this morning in Second Timothy all scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God. Uh, the scriptures, this book that we hold, written by human authors, uh, and yet they spoke from God. Uh, this book gives us God's own word. Uh, when you read and, and, and discern what the human author is saying, that is what scripture is saying. That is what God is saying. Uh, this, is, this is God's own word. You've seen that the scriptures are inerrant. Uh, they contain no error, and they're infallible. They are not capable of containing error. Uh, they are entirely trustworthy. You can stake your soul on the scriptures. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. The scriptures are inerrant. And you've seen that the scriptures are authoritative. Uh, they are ultimate. They are final. They always have the last word. We must submit to what the Lord and his word commands for his people. And so inspiration, inerrancy, authority, these are all, all glorious truths for us as believers about the Word of God. They are, they are essential truths that we must understand about our Bibles. Um, but obviously, we're, we're here this morning. Uh, the series is still going on, and so there's still more to learn about God's Word. There's still more that Scripture tells us about itself that is essential for how we live, essential for our souls as we walk through life. Uh, no doubt this has been an interesting year for us all. Um, uh, you think about the, the actual year, 2020, right? And you might, might have seen churches at the end of last year, beginning of this year, offer a 2020 vision um, for what this next upcoming year was going to look like. And I, I don't know how many of them accounted for a global pandemic and all the cultural chaos and all the other things that have been going on in the world around us over these past few months. Um, but there certainly has been a lot of change. This has affected all of us in, in various ways. Uh, people have lost jobs. Uh, social interaction looks a bit different today than it did back in January. Um, a lot more homeschoolers exist in the world than the, there did before. Um, and, and there's government restrictions. There's, there's so many things. These are just naming a few. But we've all been affected. Um, and it's in times like these that, that our hearts are exposed. And it's in times like these that our, our understanding of Scripture is also challenged. It's also exposed in various ways. 
And so we, we affirm the inspiration. We, we declare the inerrancy of Scripture. We, we ascribe to the authority of Scripture. Uh, but as difficulties press in, as our circumstances are challenging, as we walk through life, uh, we might find ourselves asking some different questions uh, about this book, uh, about God's Word. Questions like this. Can, can we really be certain about what God has said? Are we really sure that he, he desires uh, believers to continue to gather and to meet um, in the middle, middle of a, a pandemic? Or questions like this, has God really given us everything we need? Uh, has he given us enough? Does scripture really address everything that we face in our world today, two to three thousand years after, after these words were originally written? Does the Bible really provide answers? Friends, let me, let me say this. The, the answer to these questions is yes. And let me repeat that. The answer to these questions is yes. Uh, God has spoken clearly. And we're going to look this morning at the clarity of Scripture. Uh, you might have also heard it called the, the doctrine of perspicuity of Scripture. Uh, maybe you probably don't use that word a lot, um, perspicuity. Um, it really just means clarity, so it's maybe not the most clear way to talk about the clarity of Scripture. Uh, but we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, and clarity gives us confidence that we can really know what God has said, that we can really be confident about what God has said. And in Scripture, we, we do have everything we need. This is the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. And so we're going to look at these, these two qualities of Scripture here this morning. So with that in mind, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at a number of texts today. might do a little bit of Bible flipping. Uh, but I want us to begin here and to anchor ourselves here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is one of the most well-known verses about Scripture, about what Scripture says about itself. It's one of the most profound verses, or, or a couple verses, about what Scripture says um, about itself. I'm sure that you've come across these verses already in this series at various points. But listen again to these words that I'm sure you know well. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you're keeping an outline this morning, uh, we're keeping it simple, very simple. Uh, we'll first look at the clarity of Scripture, and secondly, we'll look at the sufficiency of Scripture. And so first, let, let's look at the clarity of Scripture. What do we mean when we say the Scriptures are clear? Well, as we jump in here, let's first give a definition, and we'll just give a very simple definition to what this means. Uh, the clarity of Scripture essentially means that the Scriptures, as God's Word, are understandable. It means that you can truly know what God has said. Charles Hodge wrote simply this. He said, The Bible is a plain book. It is intelligible by the people. You may hear that. That may seem a bit underwhelming at first. Okay, Scripture's understandable. Great, perfect. Uh, but really, if you, if you really dive into what this means and what this means for our lives and for our souls, this is really an amazing truth. God has not hidden his word from us. He's not made his, his will something that is obscure, something that we cannot discern or find out. 
This means we, we don't need an official church. We don't need a pope to tell us what scripture means. You don't need a seminary degree to understand the Bible. You don't need special knowledge. You don't need an elite scholar to give you the key to see through the fog of obscurity. There are helpful preachers that you should listen to. There are helpful commentaries that you should read, helpful books on Scripture. But the clarity of Scripture means that you can read God's Word and you can understand it. It is clear. And you see this throughout Scripture. You see Scripture attesting to its own clarity. And that begins really in our text here in 2 Timothy. Look again at verse 16. Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. And certainly this is talking about the the product of scripture. It's saying that the writings of scripture are God-breathed. They they come from God himself. They are God's very own words. And Paul says this applies to all of scripture. So every part, every component, every word, every grammatical construction, every single part has been given to, by God. And so we can confidently say when Scripture speaks, God speaks. So while the, the focus of this verse is on the inspiration of Scripture, when we think about the clarity of Scripture, we have to begin here. I think Joshua mentioned this last week in his message. But these qualities of Scripture, they, they run together. Uh, they're hard to separate into these really specific categories. They're, they're all connected. And when you think about the inspiration of Scripture, there are, there are massive implications that flow from that about how we understand the Bible. And so you've looked at these already, but the, the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, that, that it, Scriptures are inerrant because they are God-breathed. God cannot lie. God is always truthful. Uh, God always says what is true. And so the Scriptures, His own word, bear those same qualities. It is without error. Similarly, you've seen the Scriptures are authoritative, and that is because they are God-breathed. They come from the mouth of God. And so they bear the authority of God himself. When you come to clarity, it's the same reality. Uh, The scriptures are clear because they are God-breathed, because they are from God. This really points us to the the character of God. When we think about the the clarity of scripture, really what what is at stake here is, is our understanding of scripture, but beyond that, it is God's own character. Is God an effective communicator? And I think all of us here would say, yes, he is. The Lord sends out his word. It accomplishes what he desires. It does not return void. It's not obscured. It's not foggy. It's not unknown. It goes forth with clarity. He's not limited by human language. He's able to communicate clearly in great condescension to us through it. He, he wants to be known. And so he has communicated clearly in his word. Whenever God speaks, he speaks with clarity. So clarity of Scripture is a necessary implication of the inspiration of Scripture. If God has breathed Scripture, if if these books of the Bible that we have, if these words that you see on the page in front of you are from the mouth of God, then they must be clear. And so a discussion of clarity begins here. These are God's own words, and God is a clear an effective communicator. You see other, other attestations to this in Scripture as well. Uh, it claims its own clarity in a, in a number of ways. Um, we'll just walk through a few of these here, and we'll maybe do a little bit of flipping. Uh, but Scripture is written to normal people. It was written to normal people. You may know Deuteronomy 6.4. You don't have to turn there. Uh, the famous passage, the, the great Shema, 
where Moses is communicating to Israel, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Who's he addressing? It's not the leaders of Israel. It's not just a select group of people. He's addressing the entire nation. Uh, God's word, God's revelation through Moses was to go to all of the people. It was written to everyone. If you look at the epistles in the New Testament, you often find them addressed to the churches, to the saints in the churches in these various cities. It's addressed to all types of people, not just the pastors, not just the elders, not just those who are, are in spiritual leadership in the church. It's written to normal people, people just like you and me. And it's written to people with the expectation that they would be understood and that they would be obeyed. Understood and obeyed. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 for just a moment. See an illustration of this. In Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his last sermons as he's preparing for himself to, to die. The Lord is, has let him know that he's not going to enter the promised land. And so he's giving these last messages to the nation of Israel, preparing them to go in, to conquer the land, uh, to, be, uh, to, to receive the, the land that the Lord had promised all the way back to Abraham. And so as he's, he's giving these sermons, he's communicating God's word to them, reminding them of what God has said. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11, verses 11 through 14, you see um, an interesting statement that Moses makes to the people. He says there, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us? that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. And so God's revelation came to them and it expected that they would understand. It expected they would be able to obey. He says, it's not hard for you. It's not, uh, God's word is not something that's far off that you have to go on a long journey to find. It's not something that you need a special emissary to go find for you to bring it back. He says, no, the word of God is near. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart so that you can do it. So the clarity of scripture is seen here and the expectation that the people would understand and obey. Beyond that, you, you know Deuteronomy 6 again, uh, the, the scriptures were to be taught to children. They were to be taught to children. Um, as Moses, after he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, he goes on to say that you shall teach these things to your children. You shall speak of them in the normal course of life. As one author said, God's commands were not designed for the classroom. They were to be the topic of everyday public conversation. These are not words that are only meant for scholars, uh, not for philosophers, not for uh, elite scholars in some ivory tower somewhere. These are words that are given to the people, even to children, and can be understood. If you're still in 2 Timothy, if you look back at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, you see testimony of this even in Timothy's own life. Paul reminds him there that from childhood, you, Timothy, have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy had a faithful mother, a faithful grandmother, and as he grew up, he was instructed in God's word. And so Paul says, remember, from your own childhood, you have been acquainted with these writings. You've been acquainted with the scriptures. The scriptures are clear. And just as a side note, what a reminder this is for parents. 
that our, our children can understand. We, we ought to give them God's word. That was extra. The clarity of Scripture is also seen in, in Scripture's declaration about itself as light. Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 130, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The Scripture is light. It, it brings clarity to life. It guides. It shows how to live a life worthy of the Lord. We don't have to guess at what God expects because he has clearly made it known. And lastly, as we're thinking about Scripture, how it attests to its own clarity, uh, lastly, Jesus viewed Scripture as clear. When Jesus was on this earth, he uh, was often in conversation with people, uh, Pharisees, these religious leaders would come up and they would question him on various topics. And you often find Jesus appealing to the Old Testament Scriptures as a clear authority. Just one example of this, flip over to Matthew 19. This is illustrative of what happens several times in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 19, he's, Jesus has been teaching. Large crowds are following him. He's been healing. And in verse 3, some Pharisees come up to him. They're seeking to test him. And so they, they throw out a question to him. They say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They were looking to trap Jesus. They were looking to, to catch him in something, uh, to outwit him. But notice how Jesus responds here in verse 4. Jesus answered, Have you not read? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He's referring back to old, the Old Testament scriptures, to, to Genesis. He's referring back to uh, God's revelation there about creation for the design of man and women, marriage. And he says, Have you not read? He, he by saying that, he is indicating that there is clarity in Scripture that these religious leaders should have known. Uh, they should have been able to understand. And so he's confronting them with their own lack of understanding. Uh, but he's also then pointing to the clarity of Scripture. He, he doesn't respond and say, I'm so sorry this was confusing. I'm so sorry it wasn't really clear when in the Old Testament, you know, God wasn't, you know, he's, he's been working on this. You now have more revelation now, and so we can kind of reinterpret that back then. He says, no, you should, you should have known this. It's right there. The scripture is clear. And this happened a number of times in Jesus' ministry. This was his own view of God's revelation. It was the clear, understandable, accessible word of God. Now, as we're thinking about clarity, uh, there may be a question in your mind. Uh, you may think, sure, I hear these verses. Uh, I, we look at some of these things. Scripture claims its own clarity in various ways. Uh, but does that really apply to every part of the Bible? What about the prophets? What about Zephaniah? What about Isaiah and some of those more obscure chapters? What's, what's really going on there? What about Ezekiel when he's talking about a temple and it seems to be something in the future? I don't really know what's happening. Or, or the trump card, right? Here's what, what about the book of Revelation? You have scrolls, you have trumpets, you have bowls, you have a dragon. What, what in the world is going on there? It can, it, is there clarity? Can that be understood? And so we need to have a, a clarification here. Uh, not to think that clarity demands that it would be simple or easy to understand. There are difficult passages in Scripture, but just because something is difficult does not mean it's unclear. Uh, in seminary, we studied the languages, Greek and Hebrew. 
Um, when you are studying Greek and Hebrew, you, are, you, you purchase a textbook that will help you understand the, the grammar of the language, uh, understand how to learn the language. There's vocabulary. There's different characters for the letters that you're going through. Those textbooks are written by men who, who know those languages well. Uh, there is clarity in how they are written. But when you open a, t- a Greek textbook the first time, if I handed you a Greek textbook right now, uh, you, you probably would not understand a whole lot. Um, I would be challenged in a lot of ways, having been through those already. There's clarity in the book, but it takes work. There are things that are difficult to grasp. And this applies to Scripture as well. Uh, Clarity does not mean that every text is going to be simple or easy to understand. As an illustration of this, flip over to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Scripture admits this. Scripture is not unaware that there are things in it that are challenging to understand. Second Peter, P- Peter is writing here. Um, he's, he's closing his, his last epistle, the second epistle from, from Peter's pen. He's speaking of eschatology, things of the end times, and he actually refers to Paul's writings. And so notice what he says here in verse 15 of chapter 3. He says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You think, perfect, Peter, that really resonates with me. There are some things that are hard to understand. I am right there with you. Uh, Amen. But but what's Peter saying? Is is he saying that Paul's not clear? Is he saying that scripture is not clear? Even here, he actually equates Paul's writings with scripture. So what is he saying? Well, we'll notice what he says right after that statement. He says, There are some things that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. They, these people, there's a group of people that twist Paul's writings. They twist other scriptures. Uh, the word twist there is to, to mangle something. It has the idea of torturing something or twisting it to make it say whatever you want it to say. It's to wrest it away from uh, the right meaning and to present it with another meaning altogether. And so think about that for a minute. If they can twist Scripture to mean something else, that means there is a right interpretation. There is meaning. It is there in the text. And so while it is hard to understand, Peter's not saying that Paul's writings are, are so obscure that it's an impossible task. He's actually affirming that they can be rightly understood. And he enforces this with his exhortation in verse 17. He says, there are these people that twist the scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So how would they lose stability? This is, this is what is at stake, their stability, their spiritual stability. And so they would lose stability by being carried away with error with these twisted understandings of Scripture, by going along with what these men said. They would remain stable with a right understanding of Scripture. And so he warns them, don't be carried away. Know the meaning of Scripture. Study the Scriptures. And he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so clarity does not mean understanding is always going to be easy. But this is the the good news. Clarity means it's understandable. Clarity means that there, there is meaning. 
The God's, God's message, God's meaning is not obscure to us. And, and though it might take effort in various passages, you can find meaning. God has not hidden that from us. The clarity of Scripture is really a, an encouraging doctrine for us. It's an encouraging reminder, and it's a very practical doctrine as well. And so what do we, what do, we do with clarity? You say, okay, the Scriptures are clear. Okay, the Scriptures can be understood. But what, what do we do with that? Let me just highlight two, two things for us this morning. Uh, first, the clarity of Scripture encourages us to be diligent students of God's Word. The clarity of Scripture encourages us to be diligent students of God's Word. Paul exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed by rightly handling the word of truth. He's calling Timothy there to be a diligent student of God's word, to to interpret it correctly, to handle God's word rightly. It takes diligence. It takes study. It takes the removing of hindrances of right understanding of confessing our own sin, of growing in our knowledge, moving, moving beyond ignorance because we, we don't open our Bibles. It demands that we understand the right methods of interpretation, how Scripture itself calls us to study it and to understand it. It, it demands that we pray with the psalmist in Psalm 119, 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. But this is encouraging to us. This is compelling to us to study because it reminds us that God has made himself known. When you open the Bible, the mind of God is before us. He's not obscure. He's not hidden. He's he's right there. It's near. It's clear. It is accessible. And so this encourages us to be diligent students of God's word. And secondly, beyond being diligent students, the clarity of scripture compels us to stand with certainty on what God has said. We are called to stand with certainty on what God has said. From almost the very beginning, God's word has been under attack. You think back to the garden, the serpent and Eve. What what did the serpent say to Eve? Has God really said? There's an assault on the clarity of Scripture. There's an assault, an attack on what God has said. That that continues down to our day. We're not strangers to that. We will face pressure to uh, be be less than bold, to be more inclusive of other views, to to not quite be as, as dogmatic and as strong on some things. And certainly we want to be humble under the word. You and I are not infallible. The scripture is, but we're not. But friends, it's, it's not humility to be uncertain where God has spoken clearly. He has spoken clearly, and, and we certainly can't be exhaustive about all the things that he's spoken clearly on, but just listen to a few here. Uh, God has spoken clearly about creation. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can read through that chapter and see what he has revealed about creation. God has clearly revealed his design for mankind that he created them male and female, that he created them in his own image. This clarity on God's design for marriage, as you look in Genesis chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 5. There's clarity in Scripture about mankind's predicament. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our problem is not that we are lacking in something socially or on this earth. Our, Our problem is that we are in enmity. We are condemned before God because of our sin. And so most gloriously, um, most, what, what 
causes the most gratitude in us as believers. God has spoken clearly about salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not a result of works that no one may boast. God has clearly revealed how one can be in a right relationship with the Lord. As believers, we rejoice in that reality. That that is joy for our souls, and that is good news for the world. There's clarity in what God has said, and we could go on. Uh, It'd be a good, good exercise, but we don't have the time for that today. But do you stand with certainty on what God has said? Are you a diligent student of what God has said? You can understand it. He, he has given us a clear word. So we've answered the question, has God spoken clearly? And now we come to the next. Has, has God given us enough? Has God spoken sufficiently? Do we have everything we need? Should we be looking for something more, something additional, something extra? Again, some of these questions come into our mind as we think about our circumstances. Uh, do we really have the, the right resources, enough resources to think through COVID-19? To think through parenting in the 21st century? To think through the, the struggles of our own heart with sin? Do we really have enough? As we think about our circumstances, we are sometimes tempted to think, maybe that was enough for them back then but it's not really enough for us today. My, my problems are, are too much. There's, there's too many different things going on here. Scripture's not sufficient for this. God has not spoken enough. The world has changed. Circumstances are different than when these scriptures were written. But, but listen to this. The, the needs of the soul have not changed. Uh, our, our needs before the Lord are the same. The issues of the human heart are, are exactly the same. And so with the sufficiency of Scripture, we affirm that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, as Peter says in Second Peter. God's word is sufficient. Everything that we need to know him and to live for him, he has given us here. And that's everything. That's comprehensive. Uh, don't, don't miss that. J.C. Ryle wrote this. He said, There's no subject needful for the soul's health which is not to be found plainly taught and set forth in Scripture. There's no subject needful for the soul's health which is not to be found plainly taught and set forth in Scripture. What a, what a sign of God's goodness toward us, his kindness, that he has given us everything we need. And scripture is certainly full of declarations on its own sufficiency. I, I mentioned 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Psalm 19, 7 and through 9 is another great text that we could go to. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. For our time this morning, though, I want to focus back in on 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you're not there, turn back to 2 Timothy 3. We saw the, the clarity of Scripture as an implication. Uh, the, the text here more directly leads us, leads us to the sufficiency of Scripture. 
Notice again what Paul writes. Uh, The sentence continues on beyond all scripture is breathed out by God. He also says it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient. And from this text, I think you see it in a few ways. Uh, First, you see the sufficiency of Scripture in its profitability. Scripture is profitable. It's beneficial. It's useful. It's advantageous for our lives as believers. God's Word is not just a book of facts or stories. It's not an artifact that should be put in a museum that we can admire through a glass case and then move on to the next exhibit. It's designed by God to profit our lives, to be beneficial for our lives, to impact our lives. And Paul highlights four ways here that it's profitable. Uh, profitable for teaching, to give us doctrine, to, to tell us what is true, what we need to believe about God and the world, salvation, God's will, and God's purpose. Scripture is profitable for teaching. Second, Scripture is profitable for reproof. The Scripture shows us our error. It shows us when we have wrong beliefs, and it shows us when we have wrong practice. Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give an account. Scripture reproves. It also corrects. Third, Scripture is profitable for correction. It shows us error, and it sets us back on the proper path. It restores And fourth, it's profitable for training in righteousness. It's really comprehensive language here. You want to be trained in righteousness, then this is what Scripture is profitable for. This is what God has designed it to do. And so the prophet of Scripture testifies to its sufficiency. But it's also seen, the sufficiency of Scripture is also seen in its purpose, which is where Paul goes in verse 17. He says that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. The word complete is important here. Uh, Paul actually puts this toward the front of this phrase. And so if you were to, to translate it more, more woodenly, that complete the man of God may be. It's a word that's only used here in the New Testament. It carries the idea of, of being fully capable, competent, proficient, able to meet all the demands that are placed on you. And Paul elaborates on this with the next phrase. Uh, to be complete and equipped for every good work. Not some works, not most works, but every good work. So scripture is breathed by God, breathed out by God. It's profitable in the ways that Paul highlighted in order that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is testimony to scripture's sufficiency. Nothing more is needed. We don't have a list here of what all of these good works might be. We're we're called to good works throughout the New Testament. But broadly, anything that God would require, any area of obedience, any opportunity to serve another, the scripture equips us for. It is comprehensively sufficient. As we're looking at these two verses, we we see this testimony to scripture's sufficiency. But for a moment, I want to back out to look at the broader context of where these verses fall. Paul's not writing these things in a vacuum. He's not just giving random verses about Scripture uh, to Timothy. They're part of his, his argument. They're part of his flow. He's writing this book to Timothy awaiting execution. He, he's really on his, in his last days. He's in a Roman prison awaiting death. 
You see that in chapter 4. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And so th- these, are, these are Paul's last words. It's always interesting to hear what people's last words are, and you think about the Apostle Paul, it would be, be amazing to hear what his last words were before he was martyred for Christ. Well, here we have his last recorded words in Scripture. And in him, he wanted to encourage Timothy. He knew that he was passing off the scene. He knew that he was going to die, and Timothy was going to have to continue in ministry. And so he wanted to bolster Timothy's faith. He wanted to remind Timothy about the priorities that must be, be demonstrated in his life and in his ministry. And he wanted to warn him about the difficulties and sufferings that would inevitably come. All of these things you find in the book of 2 Timothy. As you get to chapter 3, Paul warns more specifically about the difficulties. Look up at verse 1. Paul writes there, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. He goes on to say that there are those among them who creep into households and capture weak women. They're leading people astray. They're never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. And in verse 8, he says they, they oppose the truth. Difficult times are coming. It'll be characterized by these things. Skip down to verse 12. Paul reminds Timothy here, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution, difficulty, suffering, these things are inevitable for one who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus. And so as Timothy knew Paul was going to be passing from the scene, as Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him, where does he direct his attention? He's telling him, he's warning him that difficult times are coming. To what should Timothy turn? Should what to, should, to, should Timothy look to as he would seek to endure through these difficult times, to pursue a, a life of faithfulness before the Lord in the midst of difficulty and persecution and suffering? And Paul tells him in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's the context that Paul gives this glorious statement about scripture. Difficult times are coming. Persecution is coming. Timothy, what do you need to look to? It's scripture. It's God's word. Scripture is the spiritual nutrients that will allow Timothy to endure, to be sustained in the midst of difficulty, to endure persecution, to continue nourishing his own soul, continue nourishing his own soul in Scripture to be equipped for all that God would call him to do. If you keep going into chapter 4, you see this is not only something that, that Paul said, Timothy, this is good for you. This will nourish your soul and allow you to be sustained. But he says, as you think about your ministry, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We, we see this in our day. 
Uh, Paul says, Timothy, don't, don't take a survey of what people want. Don't, don't give in to the cultural whims of the day. Preach the word. That is what is needed. That is what is sufficient for your life and being sustained through difficulty and persecution. And that is what is sufficient for ministry and your proclamation. It is the word of God. It is sufficient. So do you believe in sufficiency of Scripture? Maybe a better question for our souls, or maybe a more exposing question for our souls is, do you live in light of the sufficiency of Scripture? Does your life demonstrate a belief in the sufficiency of Scripture? Kevin DeYoung writes this. It's a convicting observation about believers. He speaks about these different qualities of Scripture, and he says, if authority is the liberal problem, clarity the postmodern problem, and necessity the problem for atheists and agnostics, then sufficiency is the attribute most quickly doubted by rank-and-file church-going Christians. We can say all the right things about the Bible and even read it regularly, but when life gets difficult or just a bit boring, we look for new words, new revelation, and new experiences to bring us closer to God. That's convicting. We see areas of our hearts where that, that is characteristic of us. It's easy to say we believe that Scripture is sufficient. It's much more difficult to live as if Scripture is sufficient. So how do you know if you're living in light of the sufficiency of Scripture? Uh, I wrote down a few things. This is certainly not comprehensive, but a few questions for us to examine our own hearts. Do we literally live as though Scripture is sufficient? Do you immerse yourself in the Word of God? There are many voices that are vying for our attention today, many things that want to speak to us, that want us to listen to them, that call out for our attention. Our priority must be God's word. Is that your priority? Do you immerse yourself in scripture? Do you employ God's word in, in your battle for holiness, in your fight against sin? As you see the, the sin, sins of your own heart, do you go to scripture to diagnose those sins? Uh, do you go to scripture for the weapons that God has given you to battle those sins? It's all here in his word. Do you employ scripture in your battle for, hol- battle, battle for holiness? Excuse me. Do you interpret the world through the lens of scripture? There's a lot going on around us today, and it would be easy to interpret that through our own experience, through our own emotion, whatever it may be. We need to come back to God's word. As you think through the circumstances, the situation of our day, as we walk out of this room and you face those circumstances of life, do you filter them through the truth of Scripture? Do you inform your decisions with the principles of Scripture? Many things that we need to decide in life, and Scripture is sufficient, and that doesn't mean that God tells you specifically what job to take, specifically where you ought to live, specifically who you ought to marry, or any number of those things, but it does give us principles that inform how we must think through those decisions and direct how, what, what direction we ought to go. So do you inform your decisions with the principles of Scripture? Or are you relying on emotion? Are you waiting for some feeling in order to uh, make a decision? Remember, Scripture is sufficient. Do you add anything to Scripture? Again, emotion, experience, whatever it may be. Or do you take anything away from Scripture? Certainly there's pressure to do that in, in our world today with the, the, the hatred of the world coming upon truth. Do you take anything away from Scripture? Do you look to the truths and promises of God's word in the midst of trials and difficulty? Does your soul run to the hope that we have in eternity with God, the hope that God has given us in his word? 
Or is your hope here? Do you use scripture in ministering to others? Or do you offer them opinions, your own preferences? Do you direct others to the word of God, to the truth of God's word? Again, this is not exhaustive, but hopefully helpful as we think through examining our own hearts. Do you live in light of the sufficient word of God? So what do you believe about the Bible this morning? We've been reminded that God's word is clear. We've been reminded that God's word is sufficient. You can know and be certain about what God has said. And he's given you everything that you need to know and to live for him. What a precious gift from the Lord. And what a helpful series this is. The more you understand scripture, the more you understand what the nature of this book is that we hold in our hands, that's inspired, that it's inerrant, that it's authoritative, that it's clear, sufficient, and everything else that it says about itself, the more you understand that, the more you will love and treasure the word of God. The psalmist declares in Psalm 19, verse 10, about the scripture, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. What a precious gift scripture is to us from God. Let's pray. Lord, we are are so privileged to have uh, the completed scripture before us, to have our own copy of your word, to have your mind so open and clear and accessible to us that we confess that we do not um, study it enough, that we do not seek you enough in it. There's so many distractions for our soul today, and we are so quickly distracted from the, the depths of your authoritative, inerrant, sufficient word pray that our, our time this morning would be profitable for our souls in the way that you've declared your word to be, that it would instruct us, that it would reprove us, that it would correct us, and that it would train us in righteousness so that we would be equipped for every good work that you would call us to do. And so, Lord, we depend upon your grace. We pray that as we go forth from here, we respond with humble, trusting obedience to you. pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.